Good morning. Breaking overnight, how it happened. The most detailed account yet of that fatal shooting on the set of Alec Baldwin's new movie. We were rehearsing and it went off and I ran out. We all ran out. This morning, inside the just-released police documents revealing the moments that led to the tragedy. Baldwin's emotional in-person visit with the victim's family over the weekend and the legal questions now swirling around the case. Could there be criminal charges? Triple threat, a so-called bomb cyclone, the strongest ever recorded, pounding the West Coast with heavy rain and wind. Overnight, evacuations ordered hundreds of thousands without power. Basically, the whole roof is collapsed and exposed to the weather on the inside. In the Midwest, tornadoes, and the East Coast braces for a powerful and rare October nor'easter. Al's tracking it all. High stakes huddle. President Biden summoning key Democrats to his home in Delaware. The all-out effort to reach a deal on his multi-trillion dollar spending plans. Where things stand this morning with the clock ticking to get it done. Status update, a rare look at key internal documents at Facebook, what they reveal about the tech giant's struggle to control dangerous content and the alarm sounded by its own employees. You'll never stop abuse in the online world. You can get better at detecting it and preventing it and curbing it. Just ahead, our interview with a top Facebook executive. Those stories plus remembering Gunther. What's my last name? Central Perk. <laughs> Actor James Michael Tyler dies after a long battle with cancer. Just ahead, the overnight tributes led by his co-stars to the beloved seventh friend. And day to remember, Tom Brady makes NFL history tossing the record 600th touchdown pass of his career before surprising a young fan who says the star quarterback helped him beat cancer. Their touching moment today, Monday, October 25th, 2021. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Kotb. From Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. And hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to Today. It is Monday. We made it. We did make it. Good to see you. It's a busy work week ahead, including we've got wild weather that is happening across the country. Yeah, it's right. A dangerous system wreaking havoc across the West overnight. It comes amid a possible tornado outbreak that extends through the Midwest today. And we're talking a possible nor'easter on the East Coast. We're live in California. Al is tracking this triple threat. Uh, meantime, get this, Christmas, two months from today. And there are new concerns about holiday shipping video showing a cargo ship catching fire off the Canadian coast. Just the latest disruption in that log jam at ports. Just ahead, we'll have a live report on how the Postal Service is vowing to help step it up in the weeks ahead. But we'll begin with that fatal shooting involving Alec Baldwin on the New Mexico set of his latest movie. Overnight, a vigil was held in Los Angeles to remember the cinematographer who was killed when Baldwin discharged a prop prop gun. In a moment, we're going to look at any legal consequences for this case. But first, NBC's national correspondent Miguel Almaguer joins us from Santa Fe. Miguel, good morning. Savannah, good morning. No charges have been filed and no arrests have been made. The sheriff's department here is still trying to figure out if any live ammunition may have been on that set where none was allowed. Meantime, we're learning about the minutes before, during and after the shooting here in Santa Fe, New Mexico. 
This morning, new details into the deadly shooting at this New Mexico movie set involving Alec Baldwin that led to the death of cinematographer Helena Hutchins. A search warrant released overnight, painting a picture of what happened inside this building. After a prop gun was declared safe, Baldwin was sitting on a wooden pew during rehearsal, drawing his weapon and pointing the revolver towards the camera lens. Director Joel Souza, who was wounded, says he was looking over the shoulder of Helena when he heard what sounded like a whip and then loud pop. We had two people shot on a movie set accidentally. Witnesses say Helena was shot in the chest, complained about her stomach, couldn't feel her legs, and began to stumble backwards. Two days after her tragic, accidental death, Baldwin seen embracing her husband and young son. Court documents reveal it was Dave Halls, the film's assistant director, who said the prop firearm was a cold gun, indicating there were no live rounds. We were rehearsing and it went off and I ran out. NBC News has learned safety concerns, including multiple previous misfires of the same prop gun Baldwin used, led several crew members to walk off the set hours before the accident. The film's production company says it was not made aware of any official complaints. Margaret Gall is a prop maker who says Halls did not maintain a safe working environment on a previous project they worked on together. He did not have any care whatsoever to those conditions in any of our experiences, and especially not in my experiences. 24-year-old Hannah Gutierrez-Reed was in charge of weapons on the set in New Mexico. She recently discussed her experience on a podcast. By all means, I'm still learning. I think loading blanks was like the scariest thing to me because I was like, oh, I don't know anything about it. Hollywood gathered overnight to mourn a life taken too soon. NBC News has reached out to Hannah Gutierrez and Dave Halls for comment, but our calls have not been returned. Meantime, the production at this movie set has been shut down pending the investigation. Savannah? All right, Miguel and Santa Fe for us. Thank you. For more on what comes next in the investigation and potential legal fallout, we turn to our legal analyst, Lisa Green. Hi, Lisa. Hey, Savannah. So right now, as it stands, it looks like this was not an intentional act. It seems to be a tragic accident. So let's start first with criminal liability. Could anyone potentially face criminal charges extending from this situation. It's possible, and that's exactly what investigators are looking for. But for a prosecutor to bring criminal charges, as you know, there needs to be some level of either intent to harm or a total failure to care about the repercussions of using like a, gun. a criminal negligence. That's exactly right. And so far, certainly for Alec Baldwin, it doesn't seem that that's the case. By all accounts, he was handed something he thought was safe to fire. He fired it. That's a terrible accident, not criminal. Well, let's talk about the civil case. This is where people, the families of, of the victims, sue for money damages, um, a wrongful death lawsuit, that kind of thing. There is certainly civil liability here. No question, Savannah. And it would be extraordinary not to see the family, even the director, sue for damages. That's the compensation they're owed. And that's where it gets tricky. The chain of custody of that gun, who was responsible for the safety, where was safety you know, left to the side. And by the way, the production company, Alec Baldwin, a producer, 
ultimately responsible for safety on the set. So that's where Alec Baldwin himself may face some liability, potentially as a producer, not the person that fired the shot. That's exactly right. And that is an investigation that plaintiff's lawyers would do, and probably also the insurance company. Movie set's not very safe. They're generally insured for accidents. Was this an accident? Well, that, those are some of the questions that will be swirling uh, around this case. Lisa, thank you very much. We're going to have a lot more on this throughout the morning. Hoda? All right, thanks, Savannah. Now to dangerous weather stretching from coast to coast, including a historic bomb cyclone roaring across California and the Pacific Northwest, causing death, damage, and evacuations. And that's only one of the threats Al's tracking. His forecast will be with us in just a moment. But first, NBC's Emily Akeda joins us from San Francisco. Hey, Emily, good morning. Good morning. Well, forecasters are calling this the strongest storm ever recorded off of the West Coast, and it turned deadly overnight. Many of these communities already suffered through wildfires and drought, putting them at greater risk for mudslides and flooding. Overnight, the brunt of the bomb cyclone arrived, hammering the Pacific Northwest in a historic fashion. 41 million people in the path of what forecasters are calling the most powerful storm ever recorded off the West Coast. Just outside of Seattle, two people tragically killed when a tree landed on their vehicle. Near Tobin, California, landslides wreaking havoc on this typically picturesque highway. Burn scars from record-breaking wildfires carving out pathways for debris to flow. The debris flow is a, is a concern as well, but also down trees are a huge concern, down power lines. Even if it, you know, a tree doesn't land on your house per se. Whipping winds up to 65 miles per hour, tearing down scaffolding in San Francisco. Whistling through the Golden Gate Bridge. And toppling trees onto homes. Basically the whole roof is it collapsed and wow. exposed to the weather on the inside. In Santa Clara, heavy rains drenching the field during Sunday night football as the Indianapolis Colts beat the 49ers 30-18 to in Levi Stadium. For months, California farmers have hoped for rain, gripped by one of the worst droughts on record. Sacramento has not seen a drop since March, but this kind of rain falling more than an inch an hour in some areas is proving disastrous. A week ago, we were, we were saying the drought, we've got no water, we're running out of water, we've got to have more water. And here we are a week later going, too much water. Evacuations ordered in areas at greatest risk, but some opting to wait out the storm, praying they'll be spared. And the bomb cyclone brought record-breaking rain to communities like here in San Francisco. Climate experts say it won't end California's drought, but it will help. Hoda, back to you. There in San Francisco. Emily, thanks. And that just gets us started mm -hmm. on the triple threat that's going on across the country today, Al. Yeah, guys, and you know, when you talk about rain, I mean, Sacramento had gone 218 days without rain, and now we're talking about 7 million people with flood and mudslide risks continuing this morning. Rainfall rates of up to an inch per hour. This heavy rain coming in. You can also see snow in the Sierra, and that's going to be at least good news, helping to build up that snowpack. But we've got wind warnings as well gusts of over 70 miles per hour and tree damage, power outages possible up to 8 to 10 inches of rain still possible across northern California, of course, leading to more flooding. And we're looking at 2 to 3 feet of snow stretching from Susanville all the way down to Mammoth Lakes and further south. So that's a good news thing kind of for their, their drought as we look ahead. Now, here in the east, 16 million people at risk for severe weather, damaging winds, hail, an isolated threat for tornadoes from Roanoke, Norfolk, Charlotte, all the way to Huntington. And we're looking at a flood risk today. 31 million people here in 
in the northeast uh, all the way into New England starting tonight through Tuesday with that heavy rain. Here comes a big storm system, cold front pushing in. That's going to bring heavy rain into the northeast, plus wind gusts of up to 30 to 40 miles per hour. We're also watching this heavy rain along the coast, anywhere up to three to four inches of rain. And tomorrow, our friends in the Midwest are going to be under the gun for severe weather. Eight million people from Salina, Kansas, all the way down to San Angelo, Texas. A very active weather situation right now. Hoda? All right, Al, thank you so much. Let's turn now to politics with his sweeping economic agenda teetering on the edge. President Biden spoke to key Democrats over the weekend in hopes of reaching an agreement. NBC's Kelly O'Donnell's at the White House with more. Hey, Kelly, good morning. Good morning, Hoda. The president played host and would-be dealmaker, bringing Senators Chuck Schumer and Joe Manchin to his personal home in Delaware. The White House says they continued to make progress toward an agreement on the trimmed down but still massive almost $2 trillion spending plan for social programs, including paid family leave reduced to four weeks and universal pre-kindergarten. The president is also trying to finalize the bill's climate and clean energy provisions. In a new development, sources say Speaker Pelosi is planning to hold a vote Wednesday on the second big part of the agenda for roads and bridges, the $1 trillion bipartisan infrastructure bill. And the president leaves Thursday for summits in Europe. Hoda? All right, Kelly O'Donnell for us at the White House. Hey, Kelly, thank you. 713, mm -hmm. much more to get to. Craig joins us. Hi, good morning. Savannah, Hi, Hoda, morning. good morning. Good morning to you as well. This morning, there are new concerns that leaders at Facebook may have ignored red flags raised by employees about the spread of misinformation on this website. Documents turned over to Congress by a former company insider revealing more critical findings from the social network's own internal research. NBC's technology correspondent Jacob Ward has been following this story for a while now. Good to see you in studio, my friend. Good morning. Great to see all three of you. You know, NBC News has reviewed at this point hundreds of redacted internal Facebook documents provided as screen grabs online to a consortium of 17 news organizations, including NBC News. It is literally tens of thousands of pages, an unprecedented level of access. If you printed it out, you know those bankers boxes? Well, it would fill about about 15 of those. Facebook's internal research shows that for years, the company has studied practically every social ill that plagues its platform, from human trafficking to threats of violence. And Facebook appears to be at war with itself as to what should be done, as some of its researchers loudly sound the alarm. They are making dramatic recommendations about changes to the company, but it doesn't seem as if the company has changed. Why is that? We do listen to the researchers. And first, the fundamental question is, why would you have a research team in the first place? We have those researchers, and we've built a team now of more than 1,000 individuals, most of them with PhDs, who work on researching the experience that people have around our products and our different features for only one reason, and that's to make those products and features better. But researchers post internal messages with titles like Does Facebook Reward Outrage? Carol's Journey to QAnon? And We Are Responsible for Viral Content. Study found that when we post misinformation, it's more likely to be shared. And that can lead to real-world harm. Another study found that for some politicians and news outlets, Facebook's sharing system is leading them to post more divisive and sensationalist content. And the specifics of what some researchers say internally doesn't always match up with the image the company has projected. We've gone from proactively identifying and taking down about 20% of the hate speech uh, on the service 
um, to now we are proactively identifying, uh, I think it's about 94% of the hate speech that we end up taking down. According to Facebook studies, less than 5% is acted upon. Bickert says those are separate metrics and the company is getting steadily better at spotting and removing hate speech. Is Facebook irredeemable by its nature? Just like you will never uh, stop abuse in the offline world, and you'll never stop abuse in the online world, you can get better at detecting it and preventing it and curbing it. Now, researchers have also made many suggestions on how to address all of these problems, from reducing the virality of posts to out and out removing content. But Facebook researchers that I've spoken with say that consistently, once those suggestions reach the executive level, they run into friction and aren't implemented, while suggestions about how to grow audience are immediately taken. Now, for their part, Facebook, you guys, says that's not true and we listen to the researchers. Well, is there a financial incentive for Facebook to keep mm -hmm. those kinds of viral posts, those high engagement posts up? There's this tension you can see in the documents between the desperate need to keep the business model alive sure. and this growing realization of all of the real world harms that seem to come from it. Well, less than 5% is kind of hard mm -hmm. to get your head around. The That's fact right. that they're acting on less than 5%. That's right. Absolutely. Good to see you, Jay. Thank, Thank you, you guys. Jake. Appreciate it. We'll go back to Al, get a check of the weather. You're a busy guy. Yes, we are today, but there are some nice spots, cool and quiet in the upper Midwest, all the way to the Central Plains, at least today, until that next round of severe weather develops. A summer-like feel down through southern Texas. Severe storms here in the mid-Atlantic states. And, of course, out west, that's where a lot of the action is, including that flood threat. And that's your latest weather. Hoda. All right, Al, thank you. Uh, coming up, we'll have more on that tragic shooting on the set of Alec Baldwin's new movie and the growing tributes to Helena Hutchins, the pioneering cinematographer who was killed. And then with the holiday shipping season expected to be one of the busiest in years and inside look at what the U.S. Postal Service is doing to prepare for the rush. Christmas, wow. public service announcement, now exactly two months away. Yay! But first, this is today on NBC. Yeah, because you did your shopping. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash today. Just go to Indeed.com slash today right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash today. Conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This place changed my life, twice, twice. Once as a cast member, as a writer here, but most importantly, as a kid watching from home, you know? And there's a good chance that if you're watching tonight, there's probably something from this place probably changed your life too, right? And I'll tell you this, if this is your first time watching this show, well, I mean, well, this one probably won't change your life, you know? <laughs> but we got a great show for you tonight. <laughs> 
That's sweet. That is sentimental, and that's Jason Sudeikis. He returned as this is a highly anticipated return yes. to SNL. Um, oh, had to do his Biden. Yes. Dead. Ted Lasso himself was yeah. there. And the, the devil. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot yeah. of laughs. All those characters. He revisited some of his most beloved characters. Uh -huh. Carson's going to have a little bit more. Let me tell you, he, he was in every single and sketch. You were in the audience. Yeah, what you yeah. got to see. Went that. to the dress rehearsal. Pretty it was so cool. fun. Yeah, fun. Jason! <laughs> no, yeah, it was really cool. cool. Carson's going to have more on Popstar. Let's mm -hmm. go to your headline, 7.30. On a Monday morning, we have breaking news. Military forces have arrested Sudan's prime minister and other senior leaders in an apparent coup, Abdallah Hamdak and his wife have been taken to an undisclosed location. Sudanese officials say internet access has been disrupted, bridges in the capital city are blocked, and in response, thousands of people have flooded the streets to protest the apparent military takeover. Here in New York City, protests against a vaccine mandate turned chaotic outside Barclays Center before yesterday's Brooklyn Nets game. A crowd gathered in support of Nets star Kyrie Irving and his decision not to get vaccinated for COVID-19. Irving has been sidelined for not following the city's vaccine mandate. At one point, dozens of protesters rushed past the barricades, got all the way to the front of the entrance. Thankfully, nobody was hurt there. Well, we turn to football now. Another game and another milestone for Tampa Bay quarterback Tom Brady, the future first ballot Hall of Famer, picking up his record 600th touchdown pass. All right, so here's the thing. Mike Evans on the receiving end of that historic pass. Evans, not realizing the significance of the moment, actually gives the ball away to a fan in the front row. <laughs> wow. A little bit later, though, a member of the uh, Buccaneers staff goes over to that fan, negotiates a return of the ball <laughs> in exchange for some, some other cool Buck swag. Uh, oh. Brady, by the way, threw two more touchdowns on Sunday. He ended with 602. Oh, that was a nice fan. Uh -huh. uh, it was a moment in the fourth quarter that has so many people talking this morning when Tom Brady greeted a young fan, mm. gave him a hat. The boy was overcome <laughs> with emotion. He had been holding a sign that said, Tom Brady helped me beat brain cancer. A big moment for Brady and for that little boy. And uh, Brady went on to say, we all try to make a difference in different ways. Tom mm. Brady, classiest wow. of acts. Beautiful. All right, guys, meantime, we do have more news to get to, including that tragedy on the set of Alec Baldwin's new movie. Yeah, as the investigation into the shooting itself unfolds, the industry is mourning one of its own. 42-year-old Helena Hutchins, a respected cinematographer, the mother of a nine-year-old son. NBC's Erin McLaughlin has more on her life. Erin, good morning. Good morning, guys. Friends and colleagues of Helena Hutchins describe her passion for cinema and a work ethic that allowed her to excel in a difficult field. Sympathy and outrage from friends and former colleagues in the close-knit film industry, struggling to make sense of a senseless death. I see myself in those pictures. I see every camera woman I've ever seen. I see every crew person who's ever done the regular 14-hour days, 18-hour days. A cinematographer and director of photography, Helena Hutchins found success in a highly competitive field, traditionally dominated by men. To work with somebody that's that collaborative and who never, ever thought of herself as better than anyone on that set. Originally from Ukraine, Hutchins grew up on a Soviet military base, falling in love with film at a young age. She worked as an investigative reporter in Europe before coming to Los Angeles to study cinematography. She was named a rising star in 2019 by American Cinematographer magazine, thanks in part to a growing list of feature film credits. Still, she was also known for extending a helping hand to others hoping to break into Hollywood. 
Her human connection was incredible. And I think in the film industry, which is extremely competitive, this is where uh, it's really important to have this uh, human connection. Beyond her professional accomplishments, those who knew her best say they treasured her spirit and caring heart. Her husband asking for privacy, posting this heartbreaking photo. Helena inspired us all with her passion and vision, and her legacy is too meaningful to encapsulate in words. She was my role model, Helena's sister Svetlana writes. She was the brightest person I've ever known. My friend, support no matter what happened, never judge me or anyone. It's so unfair. <laughs> Colleagues in the industry gathering at an emotional memorial in New Mexico Saturday. Actors John Hamm and John Slattery there to pay tribute. Alec Baldwin, who accidentally fired the fatal shot, seen embracing Helena's husband Matt, writing, My heart is broken for her husband, their son, and all who knew and loved Helena. Helena's husband also thanked her friends and mentors at the American Film Institute, where she studied. AFI has established a scholarship in her name to support aspiring female cinematographers. He asked anyone seeking to honor her memory to donate to that fund. Guys. Mm, what a tragedy, Aaron. Thank you very much. Coming up next, the U.S. Postal Service's big announcement on preparing for the holiday shipping season, given those major concerns about the supply chain crisis. Uh, we're going to have everything you need to know this morning with, as Savannah just reminded us, Christmas, just two months away from today. That's right after this. Now 740 with in-depth today. It is October 25th, so you know what that means. <laughs> Christmas. Al Roker's done with his Christmas. <laughs> yes, shopping? Christmas two yeah. months away. That was done. It is. You, you're done, right? He you? was done at Easter. Well, <laughs> my kids are older, so okay. it's a little easier to shop. Okay, that That's explains what you this say. year. Being yeah. Uh -huh. Anyway, to deal with the holiday season crush that everyone's expecting, the U.S. Postal Service is announcing big plans to add new facilities and extra staffing. And the announcement comes as both consumers and retailers from coast to coast are dealing with those crippling supply chain issues we've been telling you about. NBC's Carrie Sanders joins us from the Port of Miami. Carrie, good morning. Well, good morning. You know, you see the containers behind me. They're holding things like electronics from Asia, clothes from Central and South America, the ideal perfect Christmas gifts. But as you just noted, we have seen supply chain issues, containers like these sitting on ships waiting to be offloaded. As that logistical problem is being worked out this morning, the so-called last mile, getting what's inside these containers to your home is being ramped up. This morning, the nation's mail system making a major push to deliver packages on time this holiday season. The United States Postal Service announcing plans to add 45 new facilities, 112 new mail sorting machines, and 40,000 additional seasonal workers, all of it in an effort to handle more than 50 million packages a day. That's a 35% increase from last year. It's a big goal for the Postal Service, which has been plagued by delays throughout the pandemic. The delivery is just mystical as to when things arrive where. Mail is slow. I mailed a package to California that took about a month to get there. Amazon, FedEx and UPS are also hiring thousands of seasonal workers to deal with the expected record holiday rush. But some small business owners are questioning whether it will be enough to offset major supply chain issues. Thea Brown is the owner of a popular toy store in Richmond, Virginia. I am worried that um, we might have to disappoint 
some people, not only this holiday, but um, and it's not going to magically go away at the, the first of the year. From ports to trucks to warehouses, labor shortages, lack of capacity and congestion are wreaking havoc on a supply chain still recovering from pandemic shutdowns. And over the weekend, disaster when 40 containers fell into the Pacific Ocean when a ship was hit by rough seas off the coast of Washington state. Later, containers on that same cargo ship, including two carrying hazardous materials, catching fire on board, according to the Canadian Coast Guard. The incident, just another disruption to the ongoing global jam. Here in the U.S., Florida's Republican Governor Ron DeSantis is suggesting container ships reroute to ports in his state to help alleviate the strain on California's ports. Some ships that are they're docked for an extra five weeks. So it'll take them an extra week to go around the Panama Canal. So you're, you're gaining some efficiency in time there. Kerry, let's go back to uh, Governor DeSantis's uh, suggestion there that those, those ships get rerouted. Are, are there any potential trade-offs to that approach? Well, there are, you know, it sounds so easy to say to do this, but logistics experts say, sure, you can have the ships head and come to Port of Miami, Port Everglades and Fort Lauderdale, Jacksonville, up to Savannah, Georgia, where they have big ports and capacity. For instance, here in Miami, there are no ships in offloading this morning. Last ship left at three this morning. So it could be done. But once the containers are here, then you have the problem of getting them on the trucks, on the trains to go to their final destinations. That is all being looked at by logistics experts right now who also point out that this supply chain issue may have revealed what is a little bit of an Achilles heel that 40% of all containers that arrive in the United States come into the ports of Los Angeles and Long Beach. And that's something that maybe we've had too much reliance on when we see the problems that we're currently dealing yeah. with. All right. Jerry Sanders for us there. Uh, by the way, in our next half hour, folks, we're going to show you how to take advantage of some very early Black Friday specials right now. I'm sure taken for granted the fact that you can order something yes, and, and get it like right. that. Not anymore. Well, we'll Mr. have to Roper. see what happens. Mm -hmm. But in the meantime, we are looking at really the tale of two countries as far as temperatures are concerned. Really chilly out west. Boise, Idaho, cooler than average, about 7. Los Angeles, 11 degrees cooler. That's because, of course, all that heavy rain. But look, from Denver, 19 degrees above average, 81. El Paso, 87. Houston, Texas, near a record of 91 degrees today. Tomorrow, that, that split continues. Winter versus summer. Out west, temperatures anywhere from 5 to 15 degrees below average, but from Grand Isle all the way down to Austin, back to New Orleans, temperatures into the mid-80s. And here in the Northeast, in the Great Lakes, we're looking at cooler conditions as we head toward the end of the week, low 60s New York City, mid-60s in Raleigh, only in the low 60s by Friday in Atlanta, and 50s in Kansas City toward the end of the week. And that's your latest weather. Savannah? All right, Al, thank you. And just ahead, starring as Gunther, he became known as the seventh friend, and the tributes are pouring in this morning for the actor James Michael Tyler. We'll have a tribute to him right after this. He would lie his way into their dreams. He was looking for James Bond girls. How fun would that be to be a Bond girl? Then twist them into a nightmare. This guy's done this before. He'll do it again. Until a group of women banded together to put him behind bars and keep him there. You have to participate fiercely, fiercely in what happens next. I'm Keith Morrison, and this is Murder in the Hollywood Hills, an all-new podcast from Dateline. All episodes of Murder in the Hollywood Hills are available now. To listen ad-free, subscribe to Dateline Premium on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or DatelinePremium.com.
Hi everyone, I'm Jenna Bush Hager from Today with Hoda and Jenna and the Read with Jenna Book Club. There's nothing I love more than sharing my favorite reads with all of you, except maybe talking to the exceptional authors behind these stories. And that's what I'll be doing on my podcast, Read with Jenna. I'll be introducing you to some of my favorite writers. These conversations will leave you feeling inspired and entertained. To start listening, just search Read with Jenna wherever you get your podcasts. We're back this morning with growing tributes to the actor James Michael Tyler. Yeah, best known for his role on Friends, the 59-year-old sadly lost his battle with prostate cancer over the weekend. NBC's Ann Thompson is here with more. Hey, Ann. Good, good morning. Good morning, everybody. You know, for Friends fans, he was simply known as Gunther, the beloved character who was also called the seventh friend, worked at the Central Perk coffee shop where so much of the show took place. Overnight, an outpouring of love for the man who added so many laughs to one of the most popular TV shows of all time. Among the dynamic cast of Friends, James Michael Tyler was a scene stealer. What's my last name? Central Perk. Spending a decade as the platinum blonde and ever so sarcastic coffee shop manager, Gunther. Hey, Gunther, have you, uh, have you seen Chandler? I thought you were Chandler. A fan favorite, Tyler's character spent years in unrequited love with Rachel Green, played by Jennifer Aniston. I finished it! I did it all by myself! And there's nobody to hug! Tyler passed away Sunday from advanced prostate cancer. Overnight, his friends' castmates posting tributes. For Matt LeBlanc, we had a lot of laughs, buddy. You will be missed. Aniston writing, friends would not have been the same without you. Tyler shared his cancer diagnosis during a conversation with Craig this summer and advocated for early detection. Next time you go in for just a basic exam or your yearly checkup, please ask your doctor for a PSA test. Caught early, 99% treatable. Michael, you spent so many years making us smile and, and making us laugh, and that is always going to be part of your legacy. And now uh, you can add saving lives to that legacy as well. I certainly hope so, Craig. My goal this past year was to see my 59th birthday. I did that. My goal now is to help save at least one life. Overnight, fans of Friends remembering the late actor on social media. I love you. Many sharing Gunther's final scene on the show. And, and when I'm in a cafe having coffee, or I see a man with hair brighter than the sun, <laughs> I'll think of you. Fans got to see Tyler this summer when he appeared by video during the Friends reunion special on HBO Max. He fondly remembered his time on the show, saying it was the most memorable 10 years of his life. And it took 33 episodes before he had a speaking part. Oh, really? Yeah, he was just the guy in the back because he was a real-life barista yeah, well, when he got cast. He made oh, the yes. most of it. Sure yeah. All right, Ian, thank you. Coming up, your 8 o'clock hour.